the garden space i think this might be the last episode of this podcast while this podcast is still called the garden space but i am still your host as per usual isma to gwendolyn here to discuss the least kind of humanizing love in my opinion which is fame or widespread admiration or a parasocial relationship that doesn't have enough substance behind it to make it nuanced enough i think love requires you to see somebody as a full and finite being and i'm uncertain that being admired from a distance does that but we have a lot to get through actually this is an episode of the garden space that's a little bit unusual yes there is an accompanying essay slash email on ismantu.substack.com again if you are not subscribed to the substack you really should get your life there's content updates. There is a book club link in here. We meet every Sunday at 6 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard, 7 p.m. Eastern, wherever you are in the country. I like to throw a couple out. And I'm here on a midweek podcast episode because I wanted to talk about the realities of stumbling into being an influencer, which is never something that I ended, that I set out to be. So first, I suppose I want to thank everybody for being here. I don't talk freely on this podcast as maybe as musician because it is easy for me to stick to an essay and read emphatically and then also make sure that i don't have to go through the work of transcribing the episode word for word however i wanted to speak a little bit plainly because i'm back to video making i took the entirety of november off essentially like most the rest of october and most of november off because there was enough happening in my personal life where i was like you know what i don't need stress from internet hoes like people are chronically online uh it is surreal to understand that like trolls use their personal time to harass me on the internet um or to try and make me upset i'm i don't remember the last time i read a comment that actually incited like a fight or flight response in me like i'm rarely made upset What I am made is constantly confused because I have never in my life had enough spare time to want to leave useless comments under somebody else's content. Like I've just never had that kind of that kind of liberty. I I truly wonder what that's like. Um, I'm back to video making. I'm sad. I'm stressed about it. I hope that everybody else is doing well. Once again, Beauty is Bad Book Club, where we are reading through Belly of the Beast is happening now the next episode the next couple episodes will be about belly of the beast unless i put out any bonus episodes which is what this will be and come i think it's really fun and it's not just like my book club it's a book club that runs autonomously and without me i don't have to stay i don't facilitate anything we just come and talk about the books so we're reading chapters two and three of belly on the beast for this weekend there of course will be an essay coming to you shortly so long as i get my shit together um I also want to talk about content updates. I know that a lot of people started following me because of my Malcolm X content and started following me because of my Beyonce content or generally like my political left-leaning content. I don't know what you're here for, but I just wanted to make sure that I speak to everybody in this space and not just people that like me because of love studies or my praxis as a therapist or my musings about what kinds of love there are available to me and my selfhood and me as a person in and of community. I will be honest with everyone and say straight up that posting the shit that I have to say really scares me. 
not even just because I uh, am afraid of hate comments. I'm not actually afraid of hate comments. It really doesn't affect me to the depths that I hear that hate comments affect other creators. Like I'm pretty, um, it's not unbothered as in I'm divested. Like it's uncomfortable and I don't enjoy it, but it doesn't really shape anything about my life or day. Like I'm very good at just being like, well, that's enough of that, closing TikTok and then moving along. I'm really scared because it's becoming evident that the larger I grow, the less the average social media user sees me as human. Like I feel like a democratically elected cult leader. <laughs> it's really weird. Like it's a very odd experience for me seeing Ismatu you are God's gift to mankind or Ismatu should shut the fuck up forever and ever amen. Like there's not an in-between. There becomes less and less of an in-between the more I grow. This was not always my experience on social media, even on TikTok while I was growing because I grew quite rapidly. There was a market shift, as I've talked about plenty of times before on this podcast, in my personal life, in my professional life, whatever. There was a market shift between people seeing me as a person who is on TikTok and as a TikToker in terms of how people treat me. I think it's fucking weird. Like, I don't really change my internet presence from my in real life presence like i would never say anything on the internet that i would not say in real life to someone's face so i'm like is this just how y'all talk in real life it really fucking can't be i don't believe you you mean to tell me that you've never been popped on the mouth if it's the case like i'm a great i don't i don't actually mind teaching i'm a great teacher it comes pretty secondhand to me we can we can go through that lesson it's just that like i don't believe that you all have the brass and the tenacity to call me out of my name or say that I don't know what I'm talking about to my face. And the reason that I know that, especially because, um, you know, conversations about misogynoir, not new to it, conversations about the myth of overpopulation or the eugenicist take of poor people shouldn't have kids, not new to it. I have degrees in this shit. I have dealt with many a bullshit formerly republican until they got to a liberal arts college and then realized that it was uncool peer that wanted to say i think that you're dumb but couldn't because that's not an argument not only is like not only are you going to look foolish by not being able to form like real sentences about what you think that you have to attack my person but also i wouldn't have graduated successfully from any of the institutions i went to if someone had if a white person had looked me dead in my eyes and said shut the fuck up i think you're dumb never First of all, I don't even use like words like dumb, stupid, idiot. Those are slurs. Those are all ableist slurs. It's odd to me. It doesn't bother me, but it is odd. Like I'm like I'm I'm experiencing being a person on the end of people who don't believe I'm a person. Because we have a parasocial relationship and they think of me more as an idea than I am um, a real person who has ideas. Because they disagree with the ideas that I'm presenting, they also disagree with me as an idea. The issue with that is, I'm not an idea. I'm a fully fleshed out human. I'm not doing any of this for likes, clicks, or engagement. In fact, I make the content that I make often because I feel like led to. I have positive obsessions that I'd like to share with people and I'm learning real time. So the things that I'm talking about are things that I am researching in real time. I'm sharpening and honing my politic around it. I'm very much presenting ideas as they come to me, as they're like birthed, formed, shaped, and molded in real time. I think it's one of the reasons that I'm very good at creating content that feels authentic and cozy and invitational.
It's because I'm not presenting anything polished and I'm willing to be told I'm wrong. I'm not really scared of being wrong in public. I'm a human being. Uh, whatever embarrassment or discomfort is going to come with being wrong in public will pass and then I'll be better for it. So I'm not really, it's not, it's, it's something that I don't really want. I don't want to invite that into my life, but it's going to happen inevitably. That doesn't scare me. Honestly, honestly, what scares me is how willing people are to take my word for it or how willing people are to dismiss an entire idea because they don't like me as a person even though you couldn't possibly know whether you like me as a person or not. It's terrifying to witness. Um, and it's not just me. Fame is dehumanizing at any and all scales. I'm experiencing the version of fame, like, fame dehumanizing me in like the most tame sense. The least kind of world-altering you can be, I think, in terms of fame, is social media famous. I would even argue that social media fame is like less of a big deal than being notorious in your professional field of study. Because that actually has like real-life effects on real-life people. Unless I'm recognized from my social media, which has happened before, but isn't like super common. And because I'm just a person, it's like, oh, you're that person from TikTok. You know, rather than it being like, oh my god, you're like, da -da 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 -da. it's not that serious. I mean, I should say yet, it's not that serious yet. But even the the small amounts of circulation I'm experiencing have come with people viewing me less, like less and less and less, as a full and robust human being that has a life outside of TikTok. I feel like I am surrounded by five year olds that think that I live at school. It's surreal. Fame is dehumanizing at any and all scales, and now I'm talking in public unabashed about people that have been dehumanized into being deified. I have Malcolm X content coming out. I haven't forgotten about it. I'm not procrastinating on it. It's just like something that I need to take the utmost care with. And if I'm not in a position in life where I can take the utmost care with it, I would rather wait because I'm really not doing any of this for like engagement or likes or clicks or virality or whatever people think it is that I get from social like I don't I really don't get any validation from social media. I never have. I never wanted to be here in the first place, but I can talk a little about that later. I'm doing this because I think it's important to share what I'm learning. And because I really value spaces on the internet where other people share what it is that they're learning. It's a great way for me to learn and grow as well. Like it's one of the my most favorite parts of humanity is being able to make ourselves vulnerable enough to teach and learn from one another. <sighs> so I'm now at a place where I haven't even really talked any shit for real. Like I haven't even said half of what I want to say about Malcolm X and to this day I get random ass hate comments on my YouTube channel. Um, I have random ass people messaging me across various platforms to like tell me of Beyonce's Beyonce's greatness as if I'm some wayward godless heathen. They're like, she's so talented and she works so much harder than you and you can what, what is happening? It's Tuesday. It's a Tuesday at 2 p.m. I have never, ever, 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 ever had that kind of free time before ever in my life. I don't think I ever will. Like what is going on? I I know that I'm permanently changing my experience of myself on the internet, and I have a lot of valid and reasonable trepidation about the social media experience that I'm creating for myself in making these videos. 
I'm watching, like I'm witnessing it happen. People see me as less and less human, as a human person, and more and more as a hot button content machine. It's really surreal to witness. Uh, it's happening to me really rapidly, and it saddens me because I know that there's nothing I can do. Even if I don't make another video, like even if I never, even if I remove myself from social media and never do it again, like I'm never going to be able to have a normal relationship. I mean, whatever normal is, like normal in quotes, right? But I'm never really going to have a casual relationship with social media ever again. Not after experiencing what it's like to be viral, viral across platforms, like this was very much a before and after event. It's unfortunate because I didn't set out for this. I didn't really set out for anything in particular, I just enjoyed the feeling of doing something new and I enjoyed the feeling of being good at something and I enjoyed the feeling of creating community which is what I felt like I was doing on my TikTok for the first, you know, I don't know, maybe two months and then after that as exponential growth kept happening to me and it really occurred to me that TikTok is not a place that you go to gain community, it's a place that you go to gain followers which is very very different. When I said I felt like a dem democratically elected cult leader, I mean that shit. Like, it's sincerely jarring to me. It's a little terrifying how willing people are to take my word for it. Even if I, like, provide the sources and say why I think that I do. For every person that's like, I don't like you and so I'm going to reject this idea and I'm going to reject you as an idea, there are three more that say, I really like you, and so I'll absorb all your ideas, and I also think of you as an idea and not a person. I don't mind parasocial relationships at all. I think that they've been pretty demonized in the last, like, mm, handful of five years of people, as lots of YouTube creators specifically, especially YouTube creators that have been in the game for a long time, have talked about parasocial relationships and how dangerous they can be. I also think that they can have a lot of good so long as you work like constantly endeavor to see that person as a finite being rather than someone who is a superhuman or someone who is less than human i enjoy being cared about by people that i might never meet in person that makes me happy it it brings me a lot of peace it makes me elated that i can be a part of a community that doesn't have to know each other physically to care about each other the same. Book club is really teaching me that. Having content creator friends and making friends like as like internet friends has taught me that. Uh, Substack has taught me that. I really appreciate it. I don't think that parasocial relationships are all bad. It's just that it takes a lot of maintenance on both sides to maintain that other person's humanity. Because like, as I'm watching people dehumanize me, I too feel a need or a want to dehumanize them. Even when I ask them to engage with me appropriately, like I don't really feel a need to yell at people. But when I respond, I'm like, nobody speaks to me like that in public and I don't understand why you would do that on the internet. It confuses trolls. They're like, oh, like, what are you seeing? Yes, yes, of course I'm serious. If you want to argue, argue your points. But past that, like you need to figure out a way to do it without attacking my personhood because it does nothing. You look foolish and cowardly. Don't do that. You cannot actually function like this in real life. I don't believe that you do. 
No matter how much I try to say, please engage with me as a human, even if you are upset by me or the ideas that I present, it's like people don't, it's like, it's like people laugh. It's like people don't take that idea seriously. It's like the thought of seeing me as a human is a laughable concept. Between you and me, this is one of the reasons that I have really loved studying Beyonce because she has gone out of her way. She's gone out of her way over the course of years to document herself, to document the mundanity of her life, to be very explicit about how she feels like she is a human person in extraordinary circumstances. And she feels the weight of the dehumanization that comes with stardom and then superstardom, like that sort of exponential commercial success. And people, it was like people looked at her in the eye and was like, I don't believe you. You're not human. I don't believe you. I'm not going to treat you like that. I can't even imagine what she feels for the general populace after the general populace has made Earth a relatively unlivable place for her. And like, it's not just her, right? Like the ultra famous and the ultra wealthy are shackled to their fame and wealth because they can never just come down here and exist in regular life anymore. It's a double-sided process. I think that for this reason, fame is really the most dehumanizing kind of love because it dehumanizes both parties. It's not just the general populace that dehumanizes whoever is at the front of the room. It's whoever is at the front of the room looking at the masses and just seeing like a nameless, faceless, orb of extreme love and extreme hate. Like you stop seeing the people that you're creating art for as people. It's something that every person in this in this parasocial relationship, so I have to fight against it and you have to fight against it. I think it's very possible. It's just that I wish it didn't have to be this way. Like celebrity culture does not need to exist. We could have renowned artists. We could have people in the public eye without subjecting them to constantly having to perform their humanity and also without subjecting them to the hurt and pain of not being believed. I can't even imagine how I might feel about the general populace if someone tried to lie and say that I wasn't carrying a baby that I prayed for. I like... I don't know what it would be like, and I have no desire to know what it would be like, to be deified or vilified in no in-betweens, no exceptions. Like, I reject that kind of fame, I rebuke that kind of fame. I want to be seen as human every day for all of my days, but I already feel like that's a limited ask because I already know that that's not the full reality of my life. I don't like attention. <laughs> I'm now at the point in the email that says, I guarantee I speak a little freer than this in the podcast version of this. Yeah, I have a really hard time like penning these words, but I don't, I don't like attention. I don't feel like people believe me when I say that because I'm an influencer now and I'm also a Leo, but like I have never had a desire to be on social media. I didn't have social media before this. I never wanted to be in this digital climate. It scares me sincerely. This is why I keep saying it. It scares me that people seem predisposed to want to agree with me. I feel a lot of responsibility to make sure that I don't do anything disingenuous or harmful to the communities that I aim to protect and to uplift and to cherish. And I'm moving forward with the content that I have planned, even though I am quite nervous, but I am really nervous. 
and I think it's important for me to document the process of being nervous and afraid of what the internet might do to me or what I might do to myself in the process of talking about these things that I know are hot button topics because I'm just a human. I'm just a finite person. I'm a finite being. And I'm not actually someone that is particularly interested in likes, kicks, views, and engagement. Like, I'm not interested in being well-known. I'm interested in learning in public and doing a good job. And learning about things that I care intensely about. <sighs> okay, let me take a sip. With that being said... Mm. Delicious. There are two things um, that are coming out in the rest of December. It is Poor People Shouldn't Have Kids is a Useless Politic. This is going to be an essay that is accompanied by a TikTok series. It's probably going to be about six parts um, to really break down the ideas behind Poor People Shouldn't Have Kids is a eugenicist take. I think it might take a while for like it to penetrate just how bad of a politic this is and how useless of a politic it is. So I'm going to be the one to break it out because I feel I noticed that in the first video that I made that went like, I don't know, got like 600,000 views, which for me is like semi-viral. I don't even know what that counts as. Um, although that's just on TikTok and it was posted cross-platform, like people posted it. I don't care. I don't care. People talked about it. People, like it was something that made a, a bit of a wave, a splash or two. I got like a couple thousand comments and I think that about 25 of them were like, yes, you're absolutely right. Here's more resources on this. 25% of them are, no, you're not right, and also here's a personal attack. And then the other 50% ha were somewhere in between. Like, I agree with everything that you said in this video, but people are having a really hard time with the word eugenics because they think, you like, you hear eugenics and you think Holocaust, which is true, but I need us to really understand what eugenics is so that we can recognize a genocide when it happens. And poverty is a genocide. Poverty is an intentional genocide. It's a project of colonization. It is not like a relic of, it's not a relic of anything. It is the active process of shortening the lifespans and the lineages of previously colonized people. All of the people that didn't die in the first attempts of genocide by land theft or genocide by indentured servitude or enslavement. So we're really gonna lay it out. Like we're gonna iron it out for the general public. Um, I think that this is important because I'm thinking about high school Ismatu and what I would have really appreciated. And I'm thinking about high school Ismatu who would have seen that video and gone, I know that I agree with the idea that poor people shouldn't have kids is a bad thing to say, but I don't really know why. So I'm making this video for high school me, um, for like 14 year old me who would have really benefited from someone breaking this down in full. So I'm going to break it down in full. It's going to be attached to a fundraiser that I am doing for my family. We need a tractor and we need a rice harvester or people are going to starve this winter. I feel um, uniquely positioned. It's not like, it's like not every formerly starving Sierra Leonean kid gets a huge platform and a lot of people willing to engage and support monetarily. Like that's a really big blessing. It's a really huge deal. And my family, particularly my family that is still in Sierra Leone amongst the mountains, like farming for themselves, needs a lot of help because they don't have the technological infrastructure to be able to feed the amount of people that we do. We're farming and we're doing great stuff, but like, it's really so difficult to farm for a large quantity of people and to be able to farm enough to sell to create profit without machinery. 
So I'm going to be fundraising to get these people some machinery. It's going to be directly attached to poor people shouldn't have kids as a useless politic because a useful politic compels you to action and this is very easy action you can take if you are actually serious about feeding people in poverty. Like if you're if you're really that indignant, put your money where your mouth is. Otherwise, I want you to admit that you're a judgmental prick. <laughs> I'm nervous about this because I'm scared that I'll fail. Um, and if I pull this off without inducing any gray hairs prematurely, I will be incredibly pleased and incredibly proud of myself. Honestly, I would be proud of myself either way. I am scared of the amount of responsibility that I take on for myself. But I'm also like, responsibility has a way of finding me, as does greatness. I'm nervous, like I'm really nervous. But I'm like, but what if we get it? Like, what if I'm able to do this for my family and then we can feed us so much easier? I'm just so excited. It's giving, oh my darling, but what if you fly? <laughs> um, finally, this is our last note for the evening. I am renaming the Substack and the podcast to Threadings. T-H-R-E-A-D-I-N-G-S, Threadings. Like the readings, but Threadings. <laughs> That's not why I'm doing that, but that's actually so cute. Uh, this is because that in addition to love studies and human connection, I have a very positive obsession with love from and for the black queer finite being. The black queer finite being. That's me. And that's a lot of my loved ones. I want to get into posthumanism. I want to get into love and science fiction. I want to get into the ways that blackness shapes love and love shapes blackness. The only way that I know how to hold love is in this black ass body. So I am going to talk about love for and from and by this black ass body. Black feminism and the politic of love are flip sides of the same coin for me. In my love studies, which I do still have episodes planned on the different types of love, the different love theories that have prevailed over time and circumstance depending on the ethnic group, the love, love philosophies, cultures of love across the ages, like that's all happening, that's definitely still happening. But I've also realized that a crucial piece of my perspective is informed by black feminist world making. And that's the same with my, there I'm sorry, I'm trying not to smack my lips on, um, on mic anymore. I'm so sorry for that, but. <laughs> Um, not only is my perspective informed by my black feminist world making academic base, my therapeutic praxis. So in my personal and professional life, I am a black feminist always. I want the same platform also, I want the same platform to host all of my Beyonce content, all of my Malcolm X content, and that is far more on the black feminism side than it is on the love side. However, I do still think that I want to have those conversations about the love that we are willing to give public figures. Oh, yeah. This is really about like communal love, childlike love, love is an active politic. All of these things are important to me and they um, directly converge or intersect with my political leanings. So I don't want to pretend, uh, like not that I've been pretending that I'm apolitical, obviously that's not the case, but you know, I want to be real with it. So there will be a formal intro email once I change everything over and I will change everything over once my logo is done. That had better be soon because I have like, it's got to be by the time I start promoting this on my big TikTok again. 
I haven't mentioned my Substack on my Big Sits TikTok in several months, and that's because I've been enjoying the fact that it's uh, an insular space. There's only been about like three to four thousand of us here, and I have really, really appreciated being able to cultivate a, a community and connections with you all that feels small and intimate. And I know that the more people I invite, the more love grows, but the smaller, like the less. I don't, I'm not even gonna say it doesn't feel intimate anymore. It probably will, but um, I feel a lot of safety, I think, in being insulated here for a while. It allowed me to incubate and grow in my ideas and make mistakes and change directions and really figure out what I want. So now that I feel like I firmly have my footing on the Substack and on the podcast, I want to thank everybody for being here for the first iteration of this. Like The first chapter of my podcasting life was very much the garden space. And as I am laying those, not the ideas, but the, the naming and the branding to rest and erecting something new, I hope that you come with me. I just want to let you all know, I hope everybody is having a good day, night, or whatever time of day you're listening to this. I hope everyone is pouring themselves a delicious cup of tea. I would lie to you and say that I'm drinking tea, but I'm actually just drinking water out of a mug that had tea in it so it's just like it's like LaCroix tea it's water with a hint of a hint of tea <laughs> and it's actually very good that's all for me so thank you so much for listening to one last episode of the garden space hopefully the next time you hear from me it will be f- we will we will be threadings <laughs> I will talk to you all later and I hope the work of your day passes through your hands with ease